Hi Shweta. Hi Shweta. Hello, hello dear viewers and listeners. Welcome to a brand new episode of Voice the Sasha podcast. Your go-to podcast for all things posh. I am your host Shweta Bhatt and I cannot believe how quickly yet another year has passed and that our podcast is already 2 years old. When we published our very first episode in December 2019, we aimed to create awareness and conversation around various topics in the world of posh. And my, what a journey it has been. A heartfelt gratitude to all of you dear viewers and listeners for supporting us and cheering us on. One of the most frequently asked and hotly debated topics when it comes to incidents of sexual harassment has to do with the theme of intent. People often ask what if someone did not intend to harass? What if the action was accidental or unintentional or the person meant well? In this month's episode, we take a deep dive into the topic of intent versus impact. What is relevant and why? Talking to us about this theme is advocate trainer posh expert sasha team member and my namesake shweta lutra without further ado let's dive in thank you so much shweta for uh, coming on i think this is the third time that we are meeting uh, on this podcast and one of those times you were the host it was a lot of fun to host you in that episode <laughs> <laughs> thank you for coming on and i think uh, this month's uh, episode is a very special episode because we are discussing something that a lot of people have questions about and that is the question of intent and how much does intent matter when does it matter when it comes to complaints of sexual harassment uh, so without further ado i'll jump right in we have a list of questions uh, from the team and uh, the first question is uh, basically one that's on our minds uh, that is what does the law say about intent versus impact when it comes to posh cases um if you look at the posh act the sexual harassment act itself it doesn't talk about intent with respect to the complaint with respect to the incident of sexual harassment itself um the only place where intent is actually covered under the posh act is when they talk about malicious intent of a complainant when filing a false complaint so it is not required under the posh act to show or prove that the misconduct that led to inappropriate behavior or act of a sexual nature was intentional what is necessary is to prove that there was discomfort that it happened at the workplace and that the behavior was of a sexual nature so as long as those criteria are fulfilled intention is not a requirement under the posh act that is very interesting um it's also i think it brings me to my next question wherein you know a lot of people do ask that when it comes to criminal cases uh intent is seen as necessary to be proved but uh you are saying that in posh cases we do not take that into account uh, why is that that's a very very interesting question shweta uh we need to remember at this point the fact that the internal committee is not a criminal authority it is a quasi judicial authority with limited powers of a civil court and the nature of evidence required the manner in which a case needs to be proved in a criminal case is very different from the way it needs to be proved in a civil case 
Now, the entire purpose, I believe, of having a posh act specific to the workplace and setting up an internal committee made up of non-lawyers uh, was to ensure that there was a redressal of even the minor misconducts or misbehaviors that created a hostile work environment in the workplace. Now, when you talk about creation of a hostile work environment, where do you prove the intent? For example, if we have a situation that a person walks into a cafeteria where a group of friends slash colleagues are discussing something which is highly inappropriate for the workplace, you're talking about a sexual behavior, you're maybe talking about a, a, a particular model or an actress in a sexualized manner, the people who are having that discussion might be completely okay with it. But a person who walks into this conversation finds that behavior to be unwelcome to them. Now, I think the entire issue that comes in here is that this is not a public forum. We're not talking about such behaviors happening in a mall or in a park. We're talking about these behaviors happening at the workplace where there is an expectation of a safe and secure work environment that is professional. So behaviors that might not have been considered sexual harassment if it had happened outside the workplace are still considered sexual harassment at the workplace because of the nature of impact that people face. I'll give you an example of a case that I had where um, we were investigating into a sexual harassment inquiry and we had uh, summoned a few uh, persons employees as witnesses and normally when we talk to witnesses uh, we don't just talk about the case at hand. It's an opportunity for the committee also to speak to the witness and ask them how they are feeling. So we ask these witnesses if they have any additional concerns that they want to bring up. Uh, the complaint in this case had been filed by one of their colleagues against their boss, their manager. And these uh, employees told us that they did have difficulties at the workplace because these three men who were the three witnesses who spoke to us independently of each other, were the only men in the team, which was primarily made up of women. And the women would talk to each other about their bodies, their uh, sexual experiences, their sexual partners. And when these men found that behavior to be uncomfortable and asked them to stop it, the response was, stop being a prude. This does not concern you. If you have a problem listening to this conversation, wear headphones. Now, if you're sitting in a cab or a bus or a flight and the person sitting next to you has these conversations, it wouldn't impact you as much because you would be listening to music. You know that there is an end time to this, you know, with, your, with that person that it's going to end. You can walk away from it. In the office, you cannot walk away from it. You cannot wear headphones eight hours a day while working. So the expectation of professional behavior is higher which is why the impact of such conversations also becomes higher. Is there any time uh, or any kind of an aspect or a condition when intent is considered relevant in posh cases? Well, I won't say that intent is irrelevant. The fact that we don't need intent to give validity to a complaint does not mean that through a posh inquiry intent will be irrelevant. It becomes relevant for the committee to decide what kind of action to recommend. Now, if we say we are looking at impact, if a person says that uh, somebody has touched me inappropriately and the respondent says that I did not intend to touch them, it was an accidental touch. 
we cannot take away from the impact that the complainant has had by saying that it was accidental, let it go. Whereas at the same time, we cannot tell a respondent that you have intentionally hurt somebody, so severe action needs to be taken against you. So the recommendation from the committee could be something like giving a written apology, giving somebody, somebody a warning to make sure that they're more careful in future if they're having a conversation that is inappropriate and they believe that nobody else can overhear the conversation. It wasn't an intentional way of sexually harassing someone who overheard that conversation. But you have to be more careful in future because someone has raised a concern. So intention becomes relevant at the time of the committee taking a decision on finding someone guilty or not guilty and at the time of the committee deciding what kind of action to recommend in this case. Just a follow-up or a segue from this question is what if uh, the behavior or the incident was accidental or a one-off, you know, something that uh, can actually happen, I think, in workplaces that, you know, somebody uh, accidentally sort of touch, brushes up against someone or touches something, a pre-pandemic, of course, or, uh, you know, sends something to someone or says something. Can the committee then, does the committee take this up also as a sexual harassment complaint? How does the committee handle it? So nowhere in the law uh, does it define how many times a behavior has to occur for it to have an impact. Now, it is a fact that most people do not raise a complaint the first time something inappropriate happens. It's usually a trigger because there has been a pervasive environment created that has made this individual feel uncomfortable. Having said that, when it comes to whether a behavior is actually accidental or not, it's based on the perception of the person who's subjected to that behavior. If somebody has touched your backside inappropriately, people are able to make out the difference between someone brushing on purpose and somebody walking past and not even realizing that it has happened. So I had a case like this where um, in a laboratory, we had two technicians, male and female, working together. And the male employee got a phone call. There was not good network in the laboratory, so he walked out to take the call. And as soon as he came in, the lady employee started shouting at him, saying that he had touched her backside. And he denied having done that. It became quite ugly. The lady filed a complaint with the internal committee and we checked the CCTV camera footage and it was quite evident that he had touched her. So when he was, while he had denied doing it to the complainant and to the committee, when he was asked to give a response, when he was shown the CCTV camera footage, he immediately changed what he had said and said, yeah, so uh, actually I had, I had brushed past her, but it was accidental. Actually, I was in a hurry to get out to take this call. And uh, I, I, I realized that I touched her, but because she didn't say anything, I ignored it. Now, I don't think the lady's issue was as much to do with the fact that her backside had been touched, but the fact that he did not acknowledge the distress that he caused to her when she confronted him. Now here we can question that did he not intend to touch her at all or did he not intend to acknowledge the fact that he had touched her and apologize for that behavior. So when it comes to talking about if a behavior is a one-off or an accident, it depends on the level of impact that it has caused an individual for them to have come and filed a complaint. I had another very interesting case where uh, this gentleman sent an inappropriate 
image to one of his colleagues. He actually took a naked picture of himself and sent it out. And this was before the time when WhatsApp allowed you to delete uh, messages. Um, again, very similar situation. She was shocked. She knew him very well, had worked for a very long time. And when she came and complained, she told us that, you know, I cannot believe he has done this because he's such a nice person. I know his family. I have been to his house. I know his wife and his daughter. Why would he do something like this? But she raised the concern because she had felt very uncomfortable that such an image had been shared with her. Again, when we spoke to the respondent, he tried to deny it, saying that he didn't even have WhatsApp and he had uninstalled it and somebody might have hacked into his phone and sent the image. Um, you know, ultimately, because the company has a power of a civil court, we told him that we will be uh, getting in touch with service providers to find out if messages were sent at a certain time from a certain number. At which point he broke down and told us that uh, he was actually planning to send this image to his wife. She had been away out of town for a while and things got naughty on the phone and he thought he'd send an image. And um, his, his wife's name was the same as the colleague's name. So it was an absolute accident that he sent it to her. But you see how this could have been dealt with so much more easily if he had acknowledged his mistake and apologized. The fact that he denied it also adds on to the impact that the complainant feels. Absolutely. Uh, and this is very interesting also because I think in our sessions when we talk to employees, we also um, sort of, you know, one of the things that we say in, in the end when we talk about do's and don'ts is also that, you know, uh, uh, be mindful of how a particular behavior might be perceived by someone because not you know you might perceive it as you know nothing and you it, you might brush it off if it happens to you but doesn't mean that everybody will be able to it might affect someone in a different way so if there is some doubt as to whether something could be uncomfortable to somebody uh, you know ask or uh, you know check with them uh, and uh, all or you know if something has happened and you it, it was not intentional, you know, apologize or call it out and acknowledge. And it, this is something that we are not as a culture, it is not something that we learn. So it might seem a little awkward at first, but uh, it is such a great you know, small step that we can take to just make sure that it's safe and, you know, uh, comfortable for all of us. So you've talked about the fact that, you know, intent is not taken as completely irrelevant, but then the perception, uh, uh, of the incident on the aggrieved is seen as uh, you know more relevant than intent. So, how does the internal committee gauge intent in such cases? Well, investigation is very very important in situations like this, and it depends completely on circumstances. For example, uh, while a case might be a one-off incident for one individual. Similar behavior might have happened from that same respondent to many other employees. You know, so when we talk about accidental or one-off, is it one-off for that one person or is it one-off for one person but has the same thing has happened repeatedly? So investigating really helps and sometimes during investigation we are able to find out that intention was actually missing. So I had this one case I remember, this is something that happens very often, you know, where people have issues either maintaining eye contact or tend to zone out when they are thinking and when they're zoned out, they don't know who they're looking at or what they're doing or the fact that that person is feeling uncomfortable. 
So we received this complaint from multiple women saying that one of their colleagues who had recently joined uh, the company used to keep staring at them and they said that, look, he does look zoned out, but it makes us very uncomfortable. Now, when we spoke to him about it, the respondent got very distressed and said that, no, no, I promise you, there is no way I could do this. You can speak to anybody you want to. So we started calling neutral witnesses, people from the team or people who used to sit around that group of people. And uh, what came out of that investigation that he would stare this way at absolutely anyone, be it male, female, any gender at all, you know. And many people said that we know that he's a thinker. People who work closely with him said we know he's a thinker. And uh, he doesn't intend to make anyone feel uncomfortable because there are times when we have gone and waved our hand in front of his face. And that's when he's sort of woken out of that trance, you know. Now, in cases like this also, Shweta, we can't really tell the complainant that let him stare at you. He's not doing it on purpose, right? We have to take some action, but the action here, rather than being disciplinary in nature, becomes preventive in nature. So in this particular case, what we had done is asked him to be more mindful and we changed his seating position to a place where there were windows and walls around him. So the possibility of him staring at somebody else would come down. Yeah, that is uh, that is a great example of some of the innovative ways that internal committees can uh, deal with cases. You know, uh, uh, it doesn't always have to be only punitive measures and punishment, uh, especially in such cases where you know there uh, there might not have been an intention to harm, but that doesn't you know that that distress is still there. Moving from inquiries and complaints uh, from the point of view of the committee to uh, what employees can do. What advice do you have or what recommendations do you have for employees when it comes to this theme of, you know, intention and boundary violations that can occur uh, without the intention to harass? I think this is something that should be told to employees because um, there is a sort of absence of workplace etiquette that causes a lot of incidents making people feel uncomfortable. And um, I feel that it is important for those who have been asked to refrain from behaving in a certain manner to rather than being defensive and saying, I'll do whatever I want to, you deal with it. I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable, but if you do feel uncomfortable, it's your fault. That just creates discord at the workplace. Acknowledge the fact that people are different, that people have different levels of tolerance. And if you have been asked to stop behaving in a certain manner because it is causing discomfort, stop that behavior. Now, one of the factors that the committee looks at when deciding what kind of action to recommend in cases like this is how the respondent reacted when their inappropriate behavior was brought to their attention by others. In cases where people are willing to apologize or willing to at least make a change in their behavior, a lot of times cases don't come to the committee at all. Even after a case has come to the committee, if a respondent is more open to making a change, to being respectful of the other person's feelings, it is easier to either settle the matter through a conciliation or for the committee to put in more preventive measures rather than punitive measures. But the stronger you try to defend your actions, 
And if you continue behaving inappropriately after you have been asked to refrain, that will be considered intentional harassment because now you are aware that you have caused discomfort. So action from the committee in that case will be more severe. That was uh, the end of our questions. Uh, I know that you know the topic of intent versus impact is such a deep topic. There are so many nuances that we can go on discussing this for hours and hours on end. And uh, I would like that personally, but this episode uh, shall end here. Um, and thank you so much, Shweta, for coming on and uh, you know uh, discussing this topic, giving us examples so that we can understand. And I'm sure it has been a valuable sort of a, a, a conversation for our viewers and listeners as well. In closing, is there anything that you would like to tell us? Um, so the one thing that I feel that people should think about is the fact that we get very few sexual harassment at the workplace complaints compared to how much sexual harassment actually happens at workplaces, right? And we need to think about the fact that when a complaint comes in and a complaint is genuine, then it has come in because a person's tolerance level has been breached. At that point, intention to have made someone feel so uncomfortable should not matter. It is addressing the impact that becomes more important for the committee. It's also important for us to remember the fact that the committee's job is not to penalize people. It's not to fire people as soon as a complaint is raised against them, but to create a safe and secure environment for its employees. So when organizations say that they have a zero tolerance policy for sexual harassment, does not imply that any person found guilty of any type of sexual harassment will lose their job or will be dismissed without a reference. It means that any nature of inappropriate behavior that has caused discomfort to another employee will not be tolerated and appropriate and proportionate action will be taken in these cases. So that I think is something that organizations and committees should be mindful about. And they should also encourage complainants to raise issues, even though they need not be very severe cases of sexual harassment, because we will address it in an appropriate manner. Beautifully put. Thank you so much, Shweta. Thank you, Shweta. This was a lot of fun. And I look forward to more such podcasts in the future. And that was the episode, dear viewers and listeners. What did you think? What questions and insights has it inspired in you? Do write to us at voice at sashaindia.com. We would love to hear from you. Do also follow us on our social media pages and subscribe to our monthly newsletter voice on Substack. Until we meet again next year, I wish you a very happy year end in holidays and a joyful 2022. And remember, together we can prevent, protect and progress.